Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast. Join us each month to hear ideas, inspiration and practical advice from people making change through music. These conversations are hosted by me, Anita Holford of Music Education Works and Writing Services. So I'll be focusing in particular on breaking down barriers to music through communication and advocacy, but from quite a broad perspective. I really hope you'll enjoy them. And now on with the show. Hello, it's Anita here and welcome to this month's podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Ollie Tumner of Beats Goes On. Ollie teaches stomp style body percussion and samba drumming to a massive range of different types of people in all sorts of different settings. Why I thought you'd be interested is because body percussion is such an accessible way of making music and so it's a really good way to improve inclusion. Research also suggests that there are strong links between rhythm and all sorts of learning skills, including executive functioning. Also, Ollie is great at spreading his enthusiasm about this type of music making, so I'm sure he'll have some tips to share on that. And his recent online lessons have been so popular that he's now offering this as a new strand of his work. So welcome and thank you for coming on, Ollie. It's really great to be able to have a proper chat with you today, because in the past I think we've only been able to grab a really quick conversation at a conference lobby or bar or something like that. Yes, indeed. Lovely to be here. All good fun. Thank you. So I'd like to start, as I always do, by asking you, how did you end up where you are today and why is it so important to you personally? So I guess, I mean, this can be a quite a long-winded or a shortish answer, but I'll find a kind of a middle ground. I'm very fortunate and I come from a, I guess, what's regarded as a musical family, but certainly one where music was thoroughly encouraged right from the word go. I'm, yeah, first and foremost, I'm a kind of drummer and a percussionist. I was always standing on the seat at the back of the hall watching the drummer play. I was like that from a very early age and got into playing uh, at a similarly early age. Um, with the body percussion side of things, I think that really kind of kicked off when I first auditioned for Stomp, when I was, uh, I think I was still at university actually. I only got through a couple of rounds at that point. The, the first bit they taught, I think that they still do when they do auditions, is um, a kind of a simplified version of one of the routines from the show. And I, having seen the show already, um, I was so like, oh, I'm getting to learn a bit from Stomp. So uh, I learned that and taught it to anybody who uh, wanted it to be taught to. By the time a few years later, I ended up auditioning kind of a little bit later on, I, I already knew the rhythm very, very well. So I guess um, Stomp was my kind of initial interest in body percussion. And then it's, it's kind of been a way that I've partly taught and played throughout. I'm one of those annoying people in queues who will always just keep on tapping, tapping, tapping everything. Much to the detriment of the people in the queue with me. That kind of carried on. And then um, I guess, yeah, when being in the show, which we'll talk about at some point, I'm sure, uh, you've got six weeks to learn the show, really. And within that time, you write your own body percussion solo. So there's lots and lots of oh, opportunities. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what in the show went when it's going, obviously, unfortunately not at the moment. Certainly when I was in it, there was the opportunity to compose your own. And so lots and lots of skills not only to kind of try some ideas out but also be inspired by the performers around me and then obviously now kind of nowadays I use it as a way of not only teaching body percussion itself but also teaching as you mentioned Afro-Brazilian percussion and body percussion and literacy various other things which we can chat about in detail. And so can I take a few steps back you say you came from a musical family what was that kind of like did you have parents or brothers and sisters that played yeah, music? Um, so my dad was a primary school music teacher ah. um, and a folk band called the Bright Taverners. Okay. Uh, I think it was a bit of a kind of a folk revival in like the late seventies, early eighties, and they used to play folk clubs around the southeast. And uh, and you know they did like I think they might have been in the German charts at one point. Um, so, you know, so within certain folk circles, they're kind of 
they're not exactly legends in their own lunchtime, but you know, they're known. And my mum's, uh, my mum was a nursery teacher, but we're also a, mu- uh, a pianist um, and a singer. And so I had music kind of surrounded by me by a very, very early age. At one point I was do- having piano lessons and drum kit lessons. I think I was about nine or 10. Very, very obvious which one I was kind of more naturally, well, not gifted at, but more, I, I enjoyed more. I kind of rocked out on the drums and to me, piano was a little bit more of a chore. So um, the drums was very much my passion. Well, as I say, started off on drum kit and then kind of moved into kind of percussion ensemble things of which there were lots of courses around. And then when eventually when I got to uni, I kind of got into uh, samba and various other styles that just kind of went on from there. So you did the sort of traditional route of going through music GCSE, music A-level, music degree absolutely oh, yeah, yeah yeah okay and um i mean i'm from brighton uh, which has always been a kind of a town of lots and lots of musical opportunities and kind of went through the music service weirdly ended up teaching with and working with all my teachers such as the the music world yeah, they kind of know me since i was a, a gobby little kid and um and now i'm a gobby little adult yeah oh it's amazing yeah because of course yeah. you kind of are in the same sector and same circles i guess as the people who are working in brighton hove Music yes, a friend of mine is the uh, the current music teacher at um, one at Downs Junior School in Brighton, where my dad used to be the teacher. And as part of their lockdown stuff, she used some of the YouTube videos that I had included. So there were two generations of Tunmers, both kind of involved in music education at Downs Junior School. So it was a nice, uh, nice kind of little connection to make. And I think yeah. some of the parents of the kids remembered my dad. Oh, lovely! Talking of music teachers, I guess most teachers. Music teachers use a bit of body percussion, or most maybe more more primary school teachers in their teaching. But how do the schools and hubs that you work with tend to go about you know, working with you and using body percussion? How does that work? Yeah, interesting that you mentioned that it's mostly primary. Sometimes I'll kind of call up schools maybe to chase up an invoice or for slightly more nice reasons. And it's often kind of people have a perception that body percussion, oh, you'll want to speak to the primary school, you know, if it's a kind of an all through school. So, um, no, I'm actually working with the GCSE group. I guess, I mean, things with body percussion is you're right. Everyone's been doing it. We were all clapping at nursery, you know, and what I do is just kind of developing what we've all got, our bodies, just kind of exploring the percussive and rhythmic possibilities only a few of them. Body percussion happens in cultures all over the world and has done for thousands of years. What uh, beat goes on, what we generally do is kind of lots and lots of one-off workshops but we're always kind of make sure that the workshops are a platform for the teachers CPD as well so we're always yeah. keen that whenever we uh, leave a school the teachers are now like they're, they're not like oh yeah that was fun but now what they know how to develop the ideas we've covered on after we've left as well it can be particularly with some with some non-specialists a kind of a confidence thing music seems to be one of those things that in some people's eyes you can either do or can't do which is as far as I'm concerned complete rubbish it's just that some people may have had a bad experience as a child or had a teacher that wasn't very supportive or that kind of thing part of what we do actually is we work with non-specialists to build up their confidence using percussion because it's obviously a resource that everybody's already got and uh, as you mentioned yeah the Brazilian kind of thing we kind of teach it as a a, a use it as a method to to play um, Brazilian percussion and uh, various other routes as well Oh, it's really interesting. So I want to have a, a couple of questions that split it into really what you do at primary schools and then what you do at secondary schools. Can you tell me a little yeah. bit more about that? So I'm really interested in this thing about building confidence amongst primary teachers to teach music. How do you start to work with teachers to build their confidence? And also, do you find that they are still lacking confidence about body percussion or do you think that's a more 
something that comes more naturally than or makes them feel less vulnerable than singing would. In terms of a comparison between body percussion and singing, not sure because I, I don't generally focus on the singing side of things. I often use the rhythms of words not only as a kind of a creative tool, as a kind of when I'm teaching Brazilian rhythms, for example, I've got little what I call rhythmonics, which are rhythms plus mnemonics put together. It's not it's not anything I invented, but it's like for example, there's um, if, the clave rhythm, for example, kind of the da, 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 da. I'll teach it as un, dois, tres, clave. So you're saying one, two, three in Brazilian Portuguese and then the name of the rhythm. And the rhythm of the words is the rhythm that you're teaching. So through oh, saying nice. it, the words, you then learn the rhythm separately. And, and in some cases, I often teach that as a kind of say the words first and then say the words whilst playing the rhythm as body percussion and then put that onto instruments. Um, it's actually an approach I kind of um, kind of adapted from when I was working as a facilitator with Inspireworks, which I did before setting up Beat Goes On. You may know that they're a great company. And I very much took that, but also used it as a kind of not only developing my own rhythmonics, but also using it as a creative tool, kind of as a method of composition stimulus. And actually with, in primary, particularly when working with non-specialists, I've developed a thing called Body Percussion with Literacy, which is partly a result of work with a literacy specialist, some of your listeners might know, called Pi Corbett, Oh, yes. Writing. Pi and I met at a conference a few years back. I'd never heard of him. Turns out he's a bit of a bit of a living legend. He liked what I did. Um, This was pre-Beat Goes On. And we did some work together whereby he did some creative writing, either with adults or with a class. And then I took the rhythms of the words they came up with and I turned them into body percussion. At the time, I was kind of, well, sometimes I still do challenge myself to do it live. Whatever words they've come up with, I then have to create that into a rhythm they're going to be able to get in about 10 or 15 minutes which has an interesting challenge in itself. But that is a nice one to do with non-music specialists because in some ways I'm kind of demystifying the whole music thing. So I start with a, it's just a rhythm that goes over a count of four pulse beats and we can have a go at doing it. And then they come up with their own rhythms, perhaps either using a sentence they've come up with or, or can some creative writing from one of their students. And they end up composing their own rhythm as a, with the words as a basis. And then once they've got those words, they then develop, they adapt that rhythm onto their bodies. And so without having kind of done, we're going to do music composition and all the uh, scary kind of perception that might they might have with that, we've just done it using the rhythm of words over a count of four pulse beats. So it's, it's, it's a nice way to knock down the walls, demystify it a little bit. Um, as well as in primaries, BBC 10 Pieces in itself has been a great initiative. So started off as um, BBC 10 Pieces 1 and has grown into many, many, many different strands. And when it first came out, we, um, well, I kind of developed a body percussion workshop based on Connected, the Anna Meredith body percussion piece, and, and used that as a partly a thing. Whenever schools were doing stuff with BBC 10 pieces, I'd include that. And then obviously, when BBC 10 pieces 2 came out, and Mambo from West Side Story was featured. I kind of created a body percussion and Latin percussion kind of a workshop with that. And it seems to have gone down well. Um, and it's a, a nice way to keep all of my workshops are very, very interactive and proactive. There's very little sitting down. So often um, teachers will kind of get me, get us in to do some of the more practical stuff. And then they may do more of the more city downy or kind of listening side of things as part of it, as part of a more in-depth scheme of work. Oh, interesting. So I love the idea of introducing it through the rhythm of words. Sometimes when I do more creative writing, a lot of the stuff I do is on rhythm of words. And that's a really lovely way to make, as you said, it not feel so difficult if somebody's a little bit scared of, of music it also yeah. occurs to me that your stuff is really cross-curricular and connected into such a lot of other different things and 
I want to go on to hear a bit, little bit about your work in secondary, but in terms of primary, do people actually brief you that they want you to focus on an aspect of the curriculum or literacy or well-being? Do you get that type of brief or do you tend to be um, in under the music varies. manner? Yeah, some, some are quite specific in terms of what they want and they'll be right, we want you to work with this year group or this class and this is our topic or this is our book and they've got kind of quite a specific um, learning outcomes for their children as well. Some, <laughs> I turn up at some schools and they literally don't know what they booked. They might have been, you know, they may have heard about Beat Goes On, heard of something, a guy used to be in Stomp, we think, and they know that it's a bit of fun, which hopefully it is. But also, I, by the end of the day, I've hopefully also, it's, it's not just a bit of fun. It's not kind of, I try not to be tokenistic. But yeah, it varies in terms of what it is that we're trying to get out of it. And obviously, I mean, with lockdown happening, there's a huge well-being focus, which kind of more and more and more recently People are saying, don't worry too much about the specifics of the nuts and bolts of bodybuilders. Just make it fun and something which at the end of the session, people feel better, which sounds quite simple, but it's actually obviously online quite a challenge. So I've been thinking quite carefully about particular times of rhythms and the pacing of certain sessions, just to try and ensure that whether you're in a, a group, small group in a school or at home, that that's very much the, uh, one of the, the main outcomes of whatever it is we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So it's very different. Lots of different things to think about as people have gone online. And I'll come back to that in just a second. So I've been talking to a lot of people about their online delivery. So in terms of secondary school, what's the difference between your teaching in secondary school as opposed to primary school? Well, I guess one main difference is in primary, a music coordinator may be a very, very experienced musician. They may also be somebody who played piano once when they were 10. And then they've got the, they've been told, right, you did that. Therefore, you're in charge of music for the whole school and everything in between. With secondary, obviously, you've got a music specialist. But then because music itself is so hugely broad, they may be a specialist who is particularly into music tech or particularly coming from a kind of a Western classical background. Or they may have some knowledge of, for example, samba, but they want to develop it a little bit. Nobody is a specialist in every area of music. I don't think anyone's got a lifetime to be able to do that. We're particularly brought in to make it something that developed the use of rhythm, basically, which is obviously not just for drummers and percussionists, possibly to develop the use of samba um, and other Afro Brazilian rhythms. We do a lot of stuff with upper key stage three and GCSE classes and, 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 and A-level classes about how else we can go beyond what they may have learned as a Rio style samba batucada, which is often the starting point of learning samba. I've been involved as a performer with this, uh, a band in Brighton called Carnival Collective, who are very well known for doing samba drum and bass. And when um, oh. particularly GCSE teachers hear that, they go, oh yeah, we'll do a little bit of that, please. And, <laughs> and to do that, you kind of, you can really, kind of really pick on individual students for and then and draw on their prior experiences. If you've got any kit players, okay, right, I've got quite a challenging uh, stick part for you. You go off on that. But that said, at the same time, with the lovely thing about samba is that actually the, often the most simple parts are also the most important. So if you're doing the Rio style samba stuff, the surdus who are playing the pulse-based boom, 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 although that's the most simple part there, it's, it's the heartbeat of the band. Without that, without that being really solid, you haven't got a samba you can emphasize the importance of the simple parts. So it's um, samba particularly in that case is quite a nice way to differentiate rather than going, all right, we'll, we'll get the kid who's having, uh, who's having difficulty, we'll play, get you to play triangle as is the kind of common joke. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 get them playing the most important thing and very much, you know, kind of taking pride in the fact that they're responsible for keeping the rest of the class in time. So in terms of the primary secondary difference, I think you can, you potentially can go to kind of more in depth 
um, areas obviously with the older you get and there can be a little bit more input coming from um, some of the some of the students later on but then also you've got some students often in the year eight year nine who there are some insecurities and confidence issues that they have to kind of overcome but samba particularly and body percussion that those kind of things can be a really lovely platform to explore those and build the confidence within it's really adaptable isn't it this is really bad of me but i was thinking of it as being a really interesting way into music for people and really good at primary level um for maybe those young people in secondary school who don't feel their musicals or maybe have dropped music so it might be a way to re-engage them but as you're talking i'm reminding myself of course how intensely musical and also complex body percussion can be it can support gcse and a level students as well would you say oh no absolutely I and mean, obviously for example you've got stomp yeah yeah <laughs> you've got, you know, unbelievably complex patterns going on which only a small percentage of the world can do you know so yes you've and that's the lovely thing as you said with body percussion is the differentiable thing with it but within any ensemble actually depending on how you compose it the nice thing is you can have somebody who's completely new to it and an absolute professional in the same ensemble supporting each other and actually in both those worlds there's um, a guy in the states called keith terry who has an organization called cross pulse and him and his community and his family they organize the international body music festivals which go all over the world and collaborate with artists all over the world and it's it's lovely because although you've got some incredibly talented artists and teachers there's absolutely no sense of elitism you don't need to have come from a privileged background to do it some are dancers some are percussionists some people that just like playing music but they call it body music rather than body percussion because they kind of incorporate some vocal elements as well and it's a lovely connecting way to bring everyone together and likewise with samba samba is community music it started in the streets in rio it's absolutely not for you've got to audition for this school i mean there are some places where you do audition for a thing but that's the choice of the people that run it generally it's a community music which again makes it suitable for all and brings communities together. I was really interested to hear about your example of differentiation and the um, drum and bass and samba. So that sort of brings me on to the question about how it supports inclusion. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, I guess it's just the accessibility of both of them. I mean, with body percussion, you are the instruments. You don't, you literally, because we've all kind of been clapping and we can all hit ourselves to a certain degree, you can achieve a lot in a very, very short space of time. No disrespect to violins, but, you know, when they start off, ow! Um, yeah. With body percussion, you clap, it sounds good. When you stomp, it sounds good. And obviously, as we've already discussed, there's a long way you can go from that starting point and you can just keep going and keep going and challenge yourself technically and be inspired by new musical styles. And body percussion actually, as I mentioned, features in cultures from all over the world. You've got flamenco dancing, you've got gumbu dancing from South Africa, and all these kind of styles evolve as well as they go around the world. Obviously, samba is played outside of Brazil. So it's in terms of kind of the inclusive aspect, you've got your body, you know, you can literally play it anywhere and at any time there's no setup time sometimes when i'm doing um particular kind of corporate jobs team building events and they'll say all right so you're going to do like a percussion workshop for like three thousand people god how long are you going to take to load in and it's like well it's body mm. percussion give me, give me a couple of minutes make sure the mic works and you're good to go so they're like oh right oh yeah cool obviously if they have actually booked a samba workshop for three thousand that's a whole other matter but yeah. um both from the, the immediacy of it and the kind of the instant gratification of it and the fact that literally anybody can do it at any time and you can keep on developing your own tastes but body percussion particularly is quite a unique art form and obviously with the samba side of things same kind of thing but you're hitting something and so you've got that 
the, the whole kind of impact of it can be kind of a little bit greater than just hitting your body. And there's also that really important community music aspect of it about the way that you work with people and the way that people communicate with each other through music, isn't there? It's sort of slightly different maybe than other forms of group music making. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, likewise with this, as I mentioned, these uh, international body music festivals, um, I went to one in Paris a few years ago now. And although most people spoke English, lots of people didn't. And because it was in Paris, lots of people were speaking French because there was quite, there's quite a big body music scene in Paris. But to be honest, it didn't really matter because we were all just communicating through rhythm. And my French, I can speak a little bit, but not, you know, we were actually able to really bond in quite a unique way, purely through experiencing that same musical experience. Yeah, it was lovely. So, and that's obviously quite different to kind of discussing crotchets and quavers and, and the Western classical language notation. And, you know, body percussion, samba, you can just do it right from the word go. It's been quite interesting, actually, I you know, have been to Brazil and both taught and learnt with Brazilians and from Brazilians and my Portuguese is also not great but it doesn't matter because I just we, we play together and we learn together and we bond together and we go out for a drink together all good fun. So that brings me on to asking about how you work with music services and hubs do, do any use body percussion as part of their overall delivery and their actual strategy do they build it into their strategy? Yeah and I think they're realizing that body percussion come September and all, all, also the end of this term is going to be one of the key resources and so we're, we're already booked for several sessions at the end of uh, August and the beginning of September to do precisely that not only for instrumental staff but also classroom staff I think lots of people do use it already just a question of arming people with a little bit more of their kind of toolkit in terms of where else you can go with it and so I think the, what, the one thing that music hubs and schools have had I think challenges with quite recently is the uh, the varying guidance that they've been presented with by the powers that be and kind of trying to work out oh, what they yeah. can can't do and the fact that the goalposts keep on shifting can we sing or can we chant yeah or can speak in tongues we're not quite sure and whereas with body percussion unless um, obviously I'm going to need to think a bit about the kind of the use of words while I'm saying body percussion because obviously that's a, a key thing at the moment but it's in terms of body percussion itself people have realized it's a really really key resource and kind of just wondering from September the need to still you know make practical music making how are we going to do that so yeah I've been in touch with various hubs and they seem to be uh, quite keen to hear what we've got to say and kind of we're, we're glad to be able to support them in delivering it. Are you able to sort of advise in our hubs asking questions about where body percussion can fit in terms of things like the core roles does it fit into whole class as part of delivery does it fit into groups and ensembles yeah possibly not so much i mean i think uh, the impression i get is that music hubs aren't yet thinking that specifically in terms of right we've got this really 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 clear idea and we want to do this with it i mean some have because they they have to because they have to have a plan of some sorts in action but i think some are just trying to support the schools they're working with with as as many possible ideas just to kind of keep it as broad so that it's not too prescriptive because I think some classroom music teachers will be in a music room and they're trying to work out which instruments they can and can't use. Some know they're going to be in a school with zero, in a classroom with zero instruments and zero musical equipment. So I think everyone's going to find themselves in different 
kind of learned teaching contexts and music hubs are aware of that it's the lack of knowing the specifics which i think people are finding a little bit of a challenge so um yeah people are just trying to kind of make the the best of it and just trying to arm them so and obviously yeah body percussion just kind of increasing the toolkit that brings me on to you moving your lessons online so that must be a massive change as it has been for many of the people i've been speaking with in the last few weeks can you tell me a little bit more about how you did that, how you even started? And can you share a little bit about what you learned about, about going yeah. online? It seems like, although it wasn't that long ago, it seems like, yes, an age ago. I think when it was announced that schools would be shutting and I was partly thinking, ah, where's my entire income stream very very scary indeed secondly i'm also as a person i need structure <laughs> so i was also aware that people there were probably other people like me who also needed structure so the first thing i did was i started these um free youtube sessions kind of did them 11 o'clock every morning monday through to friday for three weeks and because i think joe wicks was on i think 9 30 and so some yes. schools ended up Having him at 9.30, me 11, somebody called me the body percussion of Joe Wicks. That's what I was thinking, that that title was in my head. And 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 uh, I wish I had his followers. Uh, <laughs> actually, ironically, you know, as a, as a, a dad of a, a small baby, we've actually bought his weaning book. He's lovely. Um, so yeah, and fair play to him. Obviously, he raised loads of money for the NHS. Trying to get um, a slot in one of his sessions, it would be brilliant. Yeah, well, I, I did contact him, but strangely enough, with his millions of followers, he didn't actually reply. Oh, no, at one point, though, um, I, was, I got a text one evening and um, somebody said, oh, I've just seen you on The One Show on the BBC. Oh. I was like, because they hadn't been in touch with me, but because it was on YouTube, you don't need to because it's all public domain. They did a feature on... Um, yes, on do you know, what, I think I saw that on social media. media. Um, and I was after Joe Wicks and before Lizzo, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which was amazing because like, you know, two actual genuine celebrities and then me sandwiched in between them. But um, I, I bizarrely had quite a big feature. They had a kind of a family trying some stuff out and then a, a guy, bless him, kind of trying his best, but I think found the kind of coordination of the particular thing just as a one-off quite, quite challenging. But, you know, he gave it his best and then I contacted them to see if they wanted a follow-up and I didn't hear from them, strangely. But, oh, uh, yeah, you know, it was all actually- fun going off topic a little bit but you've actually been on CBeebies before haven't you is it I have yeah yeah CBeebies (laughs) on the Let's Go Club um, which was great and although it was quite a strange one because they said oh we want you to teach two series I did I did one for the TV show one for online and they wanted me to teach a routine in two minutes to six-year-olds right um (laughs) And I, I also found out that um, one of the children in it, his uh, granny had lied on the form and he was only five. But, you know, it was a good thing to do. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, the children involved had, had a good time doing it. And it's obviously kind of people who said, oh, I remember you from CBeebies and my kids did that. It was good fun. So it was a nice thing to do. But yeah, so going back to the original question. So I kind of started off with those three sessions. But then at that time, I was, as I was doing all the sessions from my living room, which when I had a, you know, a partner and a young baby was... <laughs> no easy feed at 11 every morning but also I kind of realized that if this was going to be longer term income wise I needed to kind of start thinking a little bit more business like so since kind of developed the regular zoom cpd sessions both that I kind of put out and people sign up to or music hubs and schools have been writing and say oh can you do this for us and also zoom zoom sessions and youtube sessions various hubs and that's been another thing hubs have been dealing with actually because during the summer term of course they usually have big summer festivals and things going on and so do schools and so they've had to do things online 
which has been a steep learning curve for everybody. So I've ended up working with an entire county in a day, which has been um, quite an interesting thing. So, right, for this, for this quarter of an hour session, because Zoom sessions, depending on the age group, have been a lot shorter than normal sessions, partly to maintain concentration levels. But um, in, I think in one, one case I worked with, I think it was something like 30 schools at a time. And then the next session, it was another 30. Oh my um, goodness, so how, so how does one, that work? How do, can well, you I, see them? No, it's all, you don't no. see them. That, that would oh. be serious streaming yeah. ability. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, purely all just on YouTube. Or I think they may have used um, other platforms are available. Generally by YouTube, the numbers of people has been kind of one plus side of doing online because I mean I've been working with people all over the world and star stuff. And although I have travelled a bit, it's kind of been regularly right. I've got forty five minutes with a group of teachers in Australia and kind of things. So that's really that's amazing. So international. I was sort of thinking it would be UK, but so you've been doing international work online. Yes, absolutely. In some cases, I've kind of made some Zoom sessions um, 10 a.m. to suit that side of the world. You know, and then kind of later on in the day for America and Canada and those kind of places and Brazil. And so it's, yeah, it's been good fun and, and, and able to kind of find out how lockdown's been treating everyone else, as well as, you know, kind of obviously spreading the glorious word of body percussion. And have you got any tips or any, anything you can share with other people who have been taking their lessons online? Anything that might help, particularly body percussion? I can imagine it must be really weird for you because it's about call and response isn't it a lot of the time so you have yeah. to just leave the gap and imagine people uh, yeah doing I think the, the thing to, the, the initial thing to get my head around was you couldn't um I couldn't set anybody a composition task because the only sense of ensemble playing is any one participant playing with the host with the latency there's there's no option to play together when it comes to anything that's with a strict pulse so I've had to kind of rethink the way I might plan workshops so that it wasn't a question of right you guys go and compose something that goes over how it, that's that's oh, not doing do, obviously yeah, cool. but um but then what, what I have done is I've had suggestions, particularly in Zoom sessions, for if you've got a suggestion for how we might come up with a variation for this bar, then show us it. And then I mute myself and they all kind of, and we listen to that one person and, and then I learn it and then we can all play in time with me. But, oh, that's um, nice. It's lovely and it's a way of getting some kind of participant input. But obviously in terms of the ensemble side of things, I am gagging to be back in a room with people. In fact, I've got one booking for in, at the school in Lewis near Brighton doing some body percussion sessions in the, in the school playground, which I'm really, really, really looking forward to just for the sake of being able to play with a group of people, obviously socially distanced. But yeah, looking forward to that. And then hopefully in September, we'll um, get a few more when people have got a little bit, they, well, they, they have enough space to um, kind of physically and mentally to be able to compute somebody coming in to doing a body percussion session. And there's so much going on at the moment. I'm not surprised that people are like, we're trying to work out how we're going to operate in any way as a school or as a class. So uh, it might take a little while to get to that point regularly. Yeah, definitely. And, and can you imagine yourself continuing to do online learning now? Did you do it before? Not so, no. I'm short answer, no. I mean, as no. I said, I've done, I, I did that one CBBC thing, which was their online thing, but that was filmed the same way the other one was. Um, so yes, I will. It'll partly depend on how busy we get as a company as we're going on because obviously if, if I'm kind of doing a day of workshops in a school kind of far away then committing to, to doing online stuff might be trickier to do I'll be kind of prioritizing the in-person stuff certainly if people want to book us for bespoke online sessions then uh, it saves on travel costs so why not yeah definitely it sounds as though it's definitely worth it for CPD so to come learning I've done people have said that was great 
but really looking forward to being in person. Oh yeah, I bet. Um, yeah. For the sake of just you know being there and being able to discuss, share ideas with people within our CBD sessions, there's always skill sharing and best practice sharing. And oh, that idea you tried, I tried this with my you know whatever year group. I'd be like, oh okay, yeah yeah, it's great. And people just and also a kind of partly just a human social thing. People like communicating in big groups. Although the CBD thing, we have got some bookings for the online stuff. People are quite keen to get the in-person stuff happening as, as quickly as possible just for a kind of a human bonding communal experience so you you've had a, as we mentioned you've had quite a lot of success in making people aware of what you do and and obviously internationally as well both within music education sector because most people know your name and know the organization's name and also in the media can you tell me a little bit about that how you spread the message about yourself and about body percussion is there anything you could share that that might be helpful to other people listening that, that are running yeah, music organisations? Um, sure. Well, I guess, I mean, partly it's just I've got myself out there quite a lot. I've done um, sessions at the Music and Drama Education Expo quite frequently. I've been kind of very, like events for Music Mark, obviously events internationally for various different international schools and elsewhere. I think it's just kind of, it's partly that, and also I'm, I'm a little bit too um, on social media, much to the detriment of I get told off about it quite a lot, but it mean, does mean that kind of people know about us. Two people who were key to um, Beat Goes On's development were um, John and Lucy Kelleher from Educational Social Media, or ESM Inbound, as they're now known. Um, and they um, supported me hugely, created free downloadable resources for um, teachers and other people in education to download, um, such as uh, Junk Percussion Guide and Rhythm Grids and other kind of content based on kind of some uh, conference appearances I've done. Um, and this enabled us to kind of build up a substantial mailing list and kind of develop ongoing communication with people People who are interested in what we were doing. Um, they also helped us um, develop our use of social media in kind of new ways um, and all of this helped Beat Goes On um, develop massively as a company. I can't really kind of understate just the, how much the impact that they had on kind of getting Beat Goes On up and running um, kind of into the yeah, company it now is. And obviously the Stomp connection really helps. So they go, oh okay, because I think sometimes with body percussion people don't necessarily, even though when you kind of show them, it's, of course that's what it is, but they kind of don't perhaps realise how um, diverse a thing it can be and how the depth to which you can go it's not just a warming up thing it's a thing you can do in its own right and obviously if I say it's a bit like stomp then they kind of oh okay cool so that's helped and um, obviously the, the association with Pi Corbett from Talk for Writing that's very helped because Talk for Writing is incredibly popular in primary schools and so if they know of a, a kind of a musical association with that then that's all good but I think it's it's mostly just kind of I've I have traveled the length and breadth of the country doing various bits and obviously lots of work workshops and schools and word spreads and I think I mean there's quite a few people delivering samba um, but there don't seem to be that many people delivering body percussion so it oh, seems okay. to be something that's um, kind of quite associated with us whenever I kind of often get tagged in I'm looking for some help with body percussion and people kind of tag, tag us in or tag me in so it's um nice way to be that said it hasn't always been uh, you know it, there's been some big big learning curves along the way yeah it's um it's but it's, it's a lovely job to have yeah, I think with your organisation, it's creating that really lovely atmosphere around what you do and your enthusiasm comes through in every way you communicate, doesn't it? Um, but, yeah, and I, I've noticed you get involved in conversations on social media and that's another thing that I think is a, a really good thing to do that I think we overlook sometimes, actually getting involved in other people's conversations on gets yeah. people to understand who you are and what you're all about rather than simply pushing 
post out on your own social media. Yeah, um, I'm aware that um, I, I, I have to find the balance and I'm not always particularly successful at it, at being a bit too hard to sell. I am kind of aware that I go, oh, we've got this, let me do this. But it's kind of a tricky one because in certain contexts, I mean, for example, with the Education Expo, um, you know, I'm often there to, partly to, you know, kind of share best practice, but also to get work. It yeah. is a networking option. And, uh, but sometimes I kind of, so, all right, I'll, I'll get back to you. I'll let you know, kind of thing. I was like, sorry. Uh, but it's, it is a balance. I think that's a really interesting thing from one self-employed person to another in the music education sector. We're in a similar position mm. and freelancers in the sector are a really important part of the sector. Yeah. And sometimes we can be criticised for being, being promotional, but we wouldn't exist if we don't do that. And if, you're, if you've only ever worked in local authorities or in charities, it can seem that we're not in it for the right reasons or that you know, we're only trying to make money. But absolutely, why would you be in this sector if you didn't absolutely love it for the passion? <laughs> you're no. not in education if you're in it for the money, no. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so, no. Um, uh, kind of a little way into the lockdown, because I think an initial response to the lockdown was that lo was just loads of free stuff, you know, all the big arts organisations, oh, this is free, this is free. Um, which was great. You know, no two ways about it. But it actually then meant that offering anything that cost anything was almost like, well, what, I've got, nobody said like literally, I've got to pay for it. But yeah. it was a little, yeah. And I think perhaps when people realised how long term um, this was, people kind of got around, oh, okay, you know, I've got a family to support and I'm trying to make it work from that point of view as well. well you know, hopefully we've kind of, kind of swum through the murky waters and I've got there now. Yeah, I think it's shaken up everybody's business models, hasn't yeah. it? In a, in a scary way in some ways, but in a good way in other ways, definitely. Yeah. Definitely saw yeah. some opportunities come out of it as well as some, I guess, yes. really, really tough times as well. It's been really great to talk to you, Ollie. Well, actually, before before I move on to my final question, I haven't asked you about Stomp yet. And I have to admit, I'm a massive, massive fan of Stomp. Yeah, so any kind of little nuggets of information you can tell us about Stomp and how you, how long you worked with them or what it was like working with them, because it's an amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, for one thing, it was a kind of, obviously, as you can imagine, dream come true. Saw the show, you know, as a child and, uh, well, kind of a young teenager. And then uh, I actually almost got through a back door, really. As I said, I um, started, my first job with them was doing workshops um, in schools going around in a van of us one of which um, he'd already done the show and so he was kind of leading things and we were learning from him um, and then when he wasn't available we do the workshops as well particularly when we did primary schools often primary schools obviously have quite long lunch breaks to get everyone through the lunch hall and so we'd often have the lunch breaks okay well can we learn some of the show and um, because we had a van full of brooms and basketballs and chairs and all sorts so I actually learned most of the show in school car parks and then kind of learned that but I was at that point still I was there as a workshop facilitator it was kind of I knew enough to be able to teach workshops I'd already done samba drawing workshops up to that point so I already knew ensemble workshop facilitation and then that carried on for a little while and I um, they have a sister show called the Lost and Found Orchestra which was originally commissioned for the Brighton Festival in 2005 that I was lucky enough then to be asked to be in and since then that went to the Sydney Opera House which was incredible and did in Holland and America and they did since Paris and various other bit the Royal Festival Hall over a Christmas so that was amazing and then I got I remember just being out with a friend in town and I got a call saying Luke and Steve who were the, the two founders of the show they want you to be in the show 
And I was like, huh? <laughs> yeah, I didn't really know what to do. I could, it's a very, very vivid memory for me. Uh, usually, as I mentioned, uh, I auditioned as part of the regular audition process a few years prior to that. Um, and they have 30 people or so for like five, 10 minutes. They learn a bit of the show and then it's one or two people might get selected from that into the next round and the next round and the next round. As I said, I kind of got through in through a bit of a back door because I'd, uh, I auditioned for the workshop job and then kind of learned a little bit of the show in school car parks and then got asked to do the show. So um, it was uh, amazing. And so I was in the London show, moved between the London show and the European tour over kind of yeah two year period it was amazing and it was a dream come true it's awesome fun but i yeah i kind of missed i, I think that i probably didn't appreciate it as much as i should have done at the time but i kind of grass is always greener type vibe i miss playing in bands obviously when you're a performer in a in a show your evenings are spent working and your day times are spent unless you've got a matinee your day times are spent just kind of milling around a bit unless you're particularly on it and so i miss my friends really and miss yeah. the stuff i able to do at the time I did it for a couple of years and then obviously it's um, the association with it and everything that I learned since has hugely influenced and helped everything both as a educator and as a performer ever since really so it was uh, an incredible experience the thing to be part of and obviously hugely influential for my life then on that's amazing mm. so finally could you give us three practical pieces of advice for others working in music education who are listening and perhaps running similar organizations to you okay one not so much a bit of advice but more just a kind of an opinion on it the whole kind of core subject thing music is a core subject that's all there is to it everything else as well as music itself is benefited by music um, the second one, from a business point of view, I've said I got out and about here, there and everywhere. I think that's really been one way that business has grown. And some things have been led to dead ends. Uh, most things have indirectly or directly led to other things. And in terms of workshop content and ideas, I tend to find that the more I can involve students' own ideas into each session, the more I get out of it because it keeps me on my toes and it keeps the content new, but also the more participants get out of it because it means that they're empowered in their own learning. It's not just some dude that they have never met before saying, right, I'm going to teach you this that I know. It's right, what styles of music are you into? What are you listening to at the moment? What instruments do you play? How can you um, adapt that into body percussion or to samba, whatever it is? And it really, yeah, empowers them as learners, both students and teachers. They can uh, often the question I ask at the beginning of uh, CP sessions is the first album you ever bought on whatever format and the first live gig you ever went to and that can also be quite funny because people haven't thought that by the way it can be some kind of <laughs> I went and saw Bucks Fizz or whatever you know but also as a serious point you're, you're already chatting about their own musical experiences which can bring the kind of real musical world into but sometimes music in school can sometimes be a, that is classroom music. But no, music is music. So it's nice to bring the, the outside musical world into the classroom. That's a really brilliant tip to end on. Thanks so much for coming on, Ollie. It's been lovely having you, lovely to talk to you. And if you want to read more about Ollie and Beat Goes On, I'll share links and information in the post that accompanies this podcast on my website. Thanks for listening. That's the end of our show this time. Thank you for listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast and make sure to subscribe so that you get to hear about future episodes. If you'd like to be on the podcast or you'd like to know more about me and how I help music and creative organisations through communications, then visit writing-services.co.uk and get in touch. Thanks for listening and have a great week.